Hi there. Listen, I know you're looking for some answers to your weight loss struggles. Why don't you join us on the next Hangout meeting to discuss this more? You can share your struggles, learn from others who are in the same boat and so much more. So don't be shy and head on over to www.decodingobesity.com forward slash hangout. I will promise you one thing right now. This is going to be a safe space where you can talk freely and it is absolutely 100% free. You do not need to pay anything for this and I wanted to create this safe space to discuss everything obesity. This is the Decoding Obesity Podcast, where we simplify, demystify, and decode obesity, helping you lose weight and feel great. So gear up for a fascinating journey through this ever-evolving field, and let's see what we find. And please remember that the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice. Don't forget to visit our website, www.decodingobesity.com, for show notes and more info. And now, here's your host of the Decoding Obesity Podcast, Dr. Avishkar Sabarwal. Hi, friend. What we eat certainly nourishes us, but it also nourishes the vast amount of microbes present in our gut. It is almost like an ecosystem within each one of us. This begs the question, can these tiny little microbes have an effect on our weight and overall health? To answer this very question and much more, I have Dr. Supriya Rao with me. Dr. Rao is a gastroenterologist in the greater Boston area. She's both certified in internal medicine, gastroenterology, and obesity medicine, and she has a very keen interest in the gut microbiome. But before we begin, I want to take a moment to thank you, all of you who are listening in. I really hope you have been finding the information that I provide here to be useful. I also want to remind you to subscribe to the show wherever you're listening to get notified of the latest episodes as soon as they're released. Let's dive in. Welcome, Supriya. How are you? Good. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, this is such a fascinating topic, right? I mean, in who would have known that the gut microbiome would mo modulate obesity, or at least that, that's what we're finding out now. So, you know, let's just start at the very beginning. What percentage of our body is really made up of microbes? So first of all, we can just talk really quickly about what the microbiome is. And so the human microbiome is a highly complex community of organisms that are present in our small bowel and our colon. And there are many, many jobs that they perform. And approximately 100 trillion bacteria are present in the gut microbiome. It's anywhere from about 1,000 to 1,200 species of bacteria. And the microorganisms that are present include bacteria, viruses, protozoa, and fungi, and it weighs about five pounds. So those are definitely pounds you don't want to lose, but it can help modulate our weight and just overall health in general, we're finding out. Yeah, and it's interesting that actually the number of cells that these microbes form, the sheer number is actually much more than the number of human cells present in the human body. So that's very interesting yeah. that we are actually more microbes than we are human. That's true. Like the genome of our microbiome is much larger than our own uh, genome, which is yeah. really fascinating to think about. So how important are these microbes? I mean, it's just five pounds, right? But how important are these microbes for our overall health? So when we are born, our microbiome is populated initially by our mothers. And so, you know, as infants, it's really important to develop that microbiome. And why is it important? The microbiome is really crucial in vitamin synthesis, so B vitamins, vitamin K. It's important in digestion, carbohydrate fermentation, 
the conversion of prebiotic fiber into short chain fatty acids, which then definitely have downstream beneficial effects. It's important in maintaining our gut integrity. So ensuring that the lining of our colon and our small bowel is not leaky in a way that influences the maturation and development of our immune system. So 80% of our immune cells come from our gut. And so it's really important in terms of fighting infection. So if you think if you have a lot of antibiotic exposure at a young age, this can cause all sorts of dysbiosis and problems with, you know, the development of the microbiome and their issues with development of autoimmune disorders, celiac disease, inflammatory bowel disease all come to mind as possible triggers with dysbiosis at a young age. And the gut is also thought of as the second brain. So there are a lot of serotonin, other neurotransmitters that are produced in the gut can influence our mood and behavior. So there's it has a lot of functions. Yeah, because I think there are studies that are coming out that it does have something to do with uh, some of the psychiatric disorders also, right? Yeah, I mean, the exactly. gut microbiome, it, it mm-hmm. affects your mood. And that's also another fascinating thing because it has so many profound effects. And when we talk about microbes, I think generally people kind of get scared of this because we want to just shy away from microbes. But there are certain microbes that you do not want to shy away from, especially and maintain them and maintain a healthy gut microbiome for all of these reasons. Right. So let's talk about obesity now. What are we finding about these microbes and how do they modulate obesity? So I think there is some research that has been started. The problem is, is that there's a lot of confounding research out there. So one study shows that this certain type of bacteria is beneficial, whereas another one will refute that. And I think, you know, as we were, we're learning and, you know, getting more into obesity medicine, there's this ratio of firmicutes to bacteroides, which we always keep hearing about. And you want those who, you know, have obesity have a higher ratio. And so it's hard to know though, because then there are other studies that have gone against that and say that that's actually not true. But what we do know is that the gut microbiome is mostly composed of two dominant bacteriophila, which are the firmicutes and the bacteroides. It represents more than 90% of the total community. But we know that obesity is a very complex multifactorial disease, and there are various factors that can affect are affected. So including our genetic background, decreased physical activity, excess food intake, all these different things. But I think the way that the gut plays into it is still really difficult to tell. I mean, there are studies which were looking at, you know, the germ-free mice being, you know, with a fecal transplant from a normal mouse, and then they end up gaining weight depending on what the makeup of the microbiome of the mouse was. But then when you look at human studies, there was actually a study out of uh, Brigham and Women's with Jessica Allegretti's group, and they were looking basically, similarly, they had 24 obese patients who received fecal transplants from a lean donor, and they were looking at GLP-1 as kind of the endpoint and hopefully an increase in GLP-1, which they didn't actually see with a fecal transplant in humans. So I feel like the endpoints need to change a little bit. There's a lot more research to be done, but it's just hard to know right now. What we do know, though, is that a diversity of the gut microbiome is really important. So having a very diverse, lots of, you know, different plants to add to that diversity is very important. And then that can definitely influence weight. Yeah. And when I actually read about the mice studies on the fecal transplant, and they basically just rubbed the feces of the mice onto the the skin of the germ-free mice. Now, for listeners who do not know what germ-free mice are, they're mice which do not have any bacteria in their gut. And so basically, when the feces of the other mice are regular mice are eating their regular chow, or chow is their food that's given in the lab, when you you rub that, that kind of helps populate the microbes in their gut. 
And what ended up happening was that even though the calories remained the same, the amount of food remained the same, the weight change was different if they were germ-free versus if they had the feces rubbed on them. And that was very, very fascinating. I think that's what probably started all of this. Right. But you're absolutely right that, you know, for humans, we are much more complex beings. But I guess we have to start somewhere, right? And that's why we started with the mice. And I think that the research is continuing. There are a lot of labs across the country who are doing this fascinating, fascinating work. But what do we know about these prebiotics and probiotics? And how do they play into all of this? I mean, there's a lot of a lot of publicity about these prebiotics that goes on and the probiotics and a lot of companies promoting all of this. Mm-hmm. How important are they for our gut microbiome? So probiotics, you know, is a multi-billion dollar industry, as we know, that you can find probiotics from health food stores to, you know, natural food stores to just your drugstore. And, you know, the way I think about probiotics is it's a pill full of, you know, certain strains of bacteria, usually the bifidobacter lactobacillus tend to be the most common that are present. One of our major governing GI societies last year put out a statement saying that overall probiotics, we don't think that they're super helpful, especially when taken in pill form, because we don't actually know how much of each strain is present. We don't know how many strain are actually alive in this capsule of, you know, bacteria. The only time it's actually helpful is in certain very certain conditions like for example, in someone who has inflammatory bowel disease but has a pouch, a J pouch, for example, if they have ulcerative colitis, they had their colon removed, they have a J pouch formed to give them continence, and sometimes that J pouch can get inflamed, and so using probiotics in that situation is helpful. And then it's also helpful in children with necrotizing enterocolitis. So very specific situations, it's helpful, but for overall health, there hasn't been a lot of data to show that it actually does very much. And they are very expensive. So they say, unless, you know, there's a really compelling reason to use it. And with the expense, you know, it doesn't seem to be that the data is quite there. That being said, a lot of people take probiotics in general and swear by them. So, you know, if I see a patient who is doing very well and happens to be on a probiotic, I'm not going to take them off of that necessarily. But I do think that there's just, again, not enough data behind the use of probiotics, but I won't stop people from taking them. And let's just clarify for our listeners. So what would be prebiotics and what would be probiotics? There's a slight difference there, right? Oh, yeah, there's a major difference. So a probiotic is a strain of bacteria. So that's all those different, you know, microbiota that we see, you know, the helpful ones, those are the probiotics. Prebiotics are the fiber containing foods that we eat, which feed the gut microbiome. And when our helpful bacteria feed on that fiber, then they can ferment that carbohydrate and then turn it into short chain fatty acids, which has very helpful downstream effects in terms of actually satiety, as well as, you know, vitamin synthesis and gut integrity and things like that. So, you know, it makes sense that we have a trillion bacteria in our body. So obviously having a billion of certain strain out of which we don't know, God knows how many are actually active. It makes sense that that may just be a drop in the ocean. Right. But then we're when we come to prebiotics, then you're actually feeding the bacteria. So feeding yeah. them the right thing would be important. Yes. I'm a firm believer in prebiotics for sure. So it makes sense that you would need to be taking prebiotics, which would be much more important than actually spending the money on probiotics. Exactly. And interestingly, the prebiotics don't have to be in a pill form, right? Nope. nope. So no. So I mean, obviously you can buy like powders that have prebiotic formulations in them. So like acacia is a common one that you can find in powder form. But actually just regular vegetables and fruits have them. So I was going to say, yeah, yeah, leeks, onions, 
that's what I was leaning towards. It's, it's just yeah. the regular vegetables. You don't need to buy a special supplement or a prebiotic if you just have a, a variety of vegetables. They themselves act as prebiotics. Right. So, so that's important to understand. Yeah. So leafy greens, leeks, apples, onions, oats, all of those you know vegetables that have high soluble and insoluble fiber are what we're looking for. So pretty much any you know vegetable, most fruits, they're all great sources of prebiotic fiber. You know, when we talk about probiotics, there are some fermented foods, which are also helpful. And they, again, we don't know how much of any one bacteria could be present in them, but the beneficial effects of the fiber that they also contain. So things like kimchi, miso, you know, yogurt, kefir, all of those sauerkraut, all of those foods, you know, are fermented, they're helpful, they may have probiotics, but I think more of in terms of just like the food itself, as opposed to taking a pill form. Right. But whenever we go to the market, you will see these health claims that are just put on these labels of all of these probiotics and even some prebiotics. So what do you have to say about that? So again, I don't really put too much weight into the claims of probiotics because you just can't make those claims, honestly. Prebiotics, you can definitely try it out and it might be helpful. So like if you see like green powder and stuff like that where the claims are, oh, this has so many greens in it, it has all these things, that that, that could possibly help. Again, none of the supplements are, you know, necessarily undergoing rigorous study. They're not, you know, being looked at by the FDA, you know, within very carefully. So again, it's hard to know exactly what is in all of these things. But overall, they're probably safe, but it's just not necessarily known how helpful it is. So I know there's a lot of research on the probiotics, but is there research on prebiotics? I don't know if there is any. No, not much. I mean, besides the fact that a high fiber diet So getting prebiotic fiber from your diet leads to a highly varied microbiome, short-chain fatty acid production, increased butyrate, propionate, which are present in the gut and help with its downstream effects, and also possible increases in peptide YY, which will help with satiety as well. So it's more of that and less about like a specific prebiotic, you know, powder or something and being able to study that. So eat more vegetables. (laughs) That's what it is. Yeah. I think, you know, in general, you know, as a country, we have a very fiber bore diet. I think, you know, everyone's very concerned about protein intake, I think, in this country. (laughs) And so in general, I think, you know, 90% of us don't get enough fiber in our diet. We need to get anywhere from 25 to 35 grams of fiber a day. And I think we're lucky if we get 10. So being able to make sure that you increase the number of vegetables. And again, it's not like you should eat broccoli every single day. It has to be a variety of, of vegetables in order to, and fruits and, you know, a variety of fiber sources and whole grains, seeds as well. All of these things are really important for overall gut health. So Supriya, we talked about obesity, but what about the other health benefits of having prebiotics and having a healthy gut microbiome? So, you know, we talked about diet. So diet is one of the major influences of it. So making sure that you are eating a predominantly plant-based diet with a wide variety of fruits, vegetables, whole grains, nuts, seeds, plant-based proteins. And, you know, I'm not saying everyone should not eat animal products, but, you know, definitely decrease in red meat because, you know, red meats can actually increase your bad bacteria in our gut and that can lead to downstream effects with TMAO, like basically substances which are harmful and carcinogenic to our body. And in terms of, you know, making sure we're active exercise. So exercise is actually shown to have a beneficial effect on our gut microbiome, again, with short chain fatty acid production, getting, you know, enough sleep every night, seven to nine hours, 
you know, adding mindfulness and meditation, drinking enough water, and overall just having a good support system in place and, you know, feeling that support. So all of these aspects are important and can actually influence your gut microbiome. Like we talked, you know, our gut is our second brain. So just being able to have elevated serotonin levels, all of these things are really important for just overall health. Yeah, you got to keep both the brains healthy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been an interesting uh, short episode regarding the gut microbiome. I mean, I'm very fascinated by all the research that is happening. And when I saw all of this data that was coming out and that's already out, it is just mind-boggling because who knew that the gut microbiome would have such a big impact on our health, right? So I guess that's all we have time for today. Thank you so much, Supriya, for joining me. And thank you, everyone, for listening in. I'll see you all next time. Thank you. You've been listening to the Decoding Obesity podcast. Please remember, the information in this podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely of the host and his guests and do not constitute medical advice. Views and opinions on this show do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of any organization. And that brings us to the end of the show. Thank you so much for listening in. Don't forget to visit our website, www.decodingobesity.com, for show notes and more info. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please feel free to rate, review, and subscribe on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. Until next time.